This is The Finch. This is Heritage One. Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Will. You're listening to a Heritage episode of The Finch. These Heritage episodes are a special edition where we talk about the origins and the backgrounds of local Athenian businesses. Athens always. Information always. This is Heritage. Michael Rips is the co-owner and president of a pretty neat coffee shop. They're on Millage, they're on Eastside, they're at Beechwood, and they're on campus. This is Jittery Joe's. Can you tell us about how you got started with Jittery Joe's, how it uh, came to be the business it is today? Sure. So um, I've been co-owner of Jittery Joe's for 12 years. Uh, Jittery Joe's itself has been around for 25 years. It was founded in actually almost 26 years, founded in 1994 in downtown Athens next to the 40 Watt. Um, but as far as how I got involved, I was, I've actually had a career in banking, uh, worked in corporate banking for years. Then I went into the internet business. I worked for an internet uh, search engine called Lycos, uh, lived in Boston, then moved from Boston to Singapore uh, and was CEO of Lycos Asia. That was Lycos's presence in Southeast Asia and was there for four years, and then Lycos was sold. My wife had gone to school at the University of Georgia. We were going to come back to the U.S. and wanted to settle into a place, mainly for lifestyle and also a place where I could maybe have a career or consult or kind of figure out the next step. So we moved to Athens, bought a house sight unseen. Um, I did some consulting and ended up meeting Bob Gooch, who is my partner and co-owner of Jerry Joe's. He was looking for a partner to help expand the company from, at the time, was two cafes, uh, two or three cafes. He was looking for a partner to help him grow, franchise the concept, and grow the brand beyond Athens. Um, I did some research. Starbucks was doing very well. The coffee business in general was growing. Um, didn't know anything about coffee other than I consumed it. So pivoted from the internet to coffee and have been involved ever since. And can you tell us a little bit about the state of Jittery Joe's today? Where are you guys, um, you know, approximately how many cafes? Sure. So we have, our business is really divided into two different businesses. One is the retail side. We have 18 Jittery Joe's branded cafes. We own half of those. The other half are licensed stores. So you probably are familiar with the Jittery Joe's cafes in town, Five Points, Alps, Watkinsville. We own most of the stores in town. Um, in Atlanta and beyond, our strategy has been to partner with um, other food and beverage entities that have experience and good brands. So, for example, we have a store or cafe in the Ritz-Carlton in downtown Atlanta. The Ritz runs it. It's branded at Jerry Joe's. Uh, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. So that's one side of the business, about 50% of the business. The other half of the business is roasting. So we roast coffee uh, on Barber Street here in town. And then we sell that coffee, not only to Jerry Joe's, but to Whole Foods markets, to other restaurants in town, uh, to other places that serve coffee throughout the Southeast. So that's the other 50% of the business. Within that wholesale business, 
We have an e-commerce business, a web store. We sell online to folks, and that really goes anywhere in the country. And we also have an office coffee service. So about four or five years ago, we started selling directly to offices in the Athens and Atlanta markets, um, which has been great for our brand uh, because we got into markets. So essentially, somebody works in an office, they can have Jittery Joe's. They can go to that cafe, they can have Jittery Joe's, or they can go to... Uh, fresh market or whole foods and take it home and brew it home. So um, that's kind of how our business is set up. Before we move on, can you briefly tell us uh, why it's called Jittery Joe's? So um, you guys are probably a little too young, but there was a movie called Thelma and Louise that came out a long time ago, early 90s. The Simpsons, which I'm sure you're familiar with, have you heard of The Simpsons? Uh, the Simpsons did a parody of Thelma and Louise on one of their episodes. And in that episode, um, there was a Jittery Joe's uh, that the, whoever the character stopped at. If you Google Jittery Joe's and Simpsons, that image will pop up. The person that founded the concept saw, I think he saw the, uh, the Simpsons episode, and he's like, wow, that's a great name for a coffee shop and he went out and trademarked it and that's how Jittery Joe's was started. Can you um, talk briefly just about what makes Jittery Joe's unique? I know that's a really um, sort of vague statement, but I think a lot of people, especially uh, from Athens, really like Jittery Joe's because it's, it's local, but can you tell us a little bit about what makes uh, your approach, um, the way in which you guys roast coffee, the way in which you guys market it, what makes it unique to you know, a big chain like uh, Starbucks or even um, Dunkin' Donuts? Right, so that, that's a great question because coffee really is ultimately a commodity. It's a bean, uh, it's a green bean that everybody sells. So everybody sells kind of the same thing. So the way you differentiate yourself is through packaging, branding, marketing. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of our early history being around 25 years, uh, I think the company went at least the first 10 years through a little different ownerships. There wasn't a lot of corporate structure behind it. But what it did do was, um, I think, grow some uh, branding and uh, affinity from people in town. And that came from a few groups. One, students. Uh, so anybody came to town, uh, went to school at UGA, would go to Jerry Joe's and uh, you know, there's that connection with anything you do in college. It's kind of your first coffee uh, place where you hung out. That's where you studied, spent a lot of time. So a lot of folks got to know Jittery, Jittery Joe's from that. Um, music. Obviously, Athens is a big music town. Um, a lot of our staff over its entire history have been baristas at our cafes. And a lot of musicians that have gone on to do really big things. Um, so I think that community is also connected with Jittery Joe's. You don't kind of see that connection with a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts. Um, so I think those two, uh, those two groups of folks uh, have really, over 25 years, um, and if you think about UGA and 25 years of uh, students coming through, um, there's a lot of nostalgia for that. And they move on to other places. So a lot of, especially now, Georgia, you're seeing graduates move all over the place. So they're kind of our ambassadors, right? They leave Atlanta, they go work in San Francisco, they know Jittery Joe's, they may wanna you know, remind themselves of Athens, and they'll order our coffee online. And we really, you know, over our evolution, especially in the past few years, have really started to reach back out to that group. And then finally, uh, in its early days, Jittery Joe's sponsored a professional cycling team. One of only 13 teams 
in the country that rode professionally. We were always underfunded, the underdog, but that awareness, um, and we created a coffee called Morning Ride, which people could buy and that would support the team. So there was that connection. So still a lot of cyclists in this country remember Jittery Joe's or connect with Jittery Joe's from that. Um, so those are all three kind of organic connections that maybe didn't, you know, there wasn't this corporate strategy, let's reach out to these groups, but just kind of naturally happened. And I think Bob and I over the past five years have been very, very interested in keeping that grassroots connection and trying not to be too corporate while, you know, on the back end running a very professional, uh, efficient company. And then I'll just throw in one other thing. Um, the, our roaster, Charlie Mustard, has been roasting our coffee from day one. So the coffee you drink um, is the same person that somebody 20 years ago. So that um, kind of taste profile and the knowledge he's built up over you know many cycles is very unique. Uh, you know we can point to Charlie as the person roasting our coffee. You know he's the face of Jittery Joe's. And I don't think anybody could tell you other than Howard Schultz or somebody who uh, is a corporate person who the face of Dunkin' Donuts coffee is. Who's the face of Starbucks? Even a lot of other coffee companies, sometimes that personal uh, connection is missing. So I think that's also been beneficial. On the topic of local connections, do you have partnerships or can you describe your partnerships with other Athens businesses? So we really have, well, number one, one of our core tenants is, uh, you know, being involved in the community. So it spans uh, really any type of entity or business from um, we work with ESP and JavaJoy. Uh, so JavaJoy is, um, is a coffee cart and people with disabilities run and operate that. Um, and they sell Jerry Joe's coffee uh, and we help train them. So in the community side and the nonprofit side, we work with them. On the business side, we sell our coffee obviously to a lot of food and beverage entities. Um, so there's longstanding relationships and connections there. You know, uh, when five and 10 uh, started and created kind of an incubator for uh, chefs in this town. And they, you know, sprung out and opened different restaurants and cafes and things of that nature. We were able to kind of, that created a market for us, for them to sell our coffee. Um, so, uh, and then uh, lastly, back to the music partnerships we were talking about, um, a key area of growth for us has been to partner with bands in town or bands who have uh, Athens roots. And we've created what we call our music series. So um, we'll get together with the artists and create um, a design for our packaging. And it'll be we've done coffee, partner coffees with Kishibashi, Widespread Panic, Drive-By Truckers. Um, and all those coffees have tapped into their followers and their fans. Um, and that's really kind of keeping our connection with music and helping elevate the Athens music scene. So. We view that as kind of a key part of who we are. And um, so kind of really across the board, Athens is small enough to where you can connect with a lot of different folks um, and do things. And sometimes that's tougher in a city like Boston or um, Atlanta. Uh, for example, the Kishibashi partnership came about because um, I was trying to read, you know, we knew Kishibashi, we wanted to do something with him. I hadn't met him personally, but I found out his daughter went to Barrow Elementary and my kids went to Barrow, and I just found Kishibashi's uh, Gmail <laughs> account in the Barrow directory, and I just emailed him, and we, we struck a deal within two days. So 
you know, that's the great part of Athens and uh, what makes it kind of special. And continuing on with um, that specific partnership you're talking about when we were researching for this interview, we saw Jittery Joe's has these really unique uh, blends that are supposed to be, you know, attributed to certain people. So I've got to ask, like, for example, this Kishibashi blend, is this, um, is this basically, like, how, how do these blends get decided? Is this what he likes and then the roaster, you know, does accordingly? Or how are these, uh, how, how are these flavors, how do these flavors come up? So it's very collaborative. Uh, Kichibashi is an example. He came by the roaster. We had, he had told us beforehand, this is the flavor profile I like. I like a little bit different, a darker roasted coffee. So Charlie put together uh, four different blends and all A, B, C, D. No, we didn't tell him anything about what was in there, um, but all different. And then we did a taste test and he went through and tasted which ones and gave us some guidance. He said, I like this one, but can it be, can you tweak it a little bit, which is what we did and kind of, kind of go back and forth um, several times. And so it was easy enough to come to uh, something that he liked. And, you know, you don't, obviously people are going to be buying the coffee and drinking the coffee, but we wanted to again, make it true that something that um, he liked, but we could also tell him, Oh, that profile would work in uh, the public. So, um, that worked great. Usually a lot of the bands bring their team, the whole band member together. The, the Future Birds, I don't know if you guys know the Future Birds, they're a band in town. They were the first band we did a coffee with. And I remember uh, we learned a lot from that because they came and one of their band members, I think, had 16 or 17 cups of coffee. We thought he was going to have a heart attack because he started having, you know, his heart was beating so fast. So we tried to kind of regulate how much caffeine you can consume. But that actually is a very, very fun process to have them come in. And these are creative people. Charlie's very creative in his field with uh, roasting. So um, it's usually a great uh, event. And Jittery Joe's is also known for um, its, uh, its quality resources. Can you talk about how you acquire those and what, what makes them unique from other, other businesses? Um, can you just expand a little bit when you say resources? Yeah, like the beans, I guess. Oh, the beans. Um, so, uh, no, that's a good question. And that's something also that we have learned a lot about. So when I got, Bob and I got involved with the business, um, essentially we would uh, just call a coffee broker and say, we need coffee, and he would send us coffee, and we would roast it. Um, I think in the second year of our ownership, coffee prices, you know, we mentioned it was a commodity, coffee prices spiked. Um, so the coffee we were buying um, got much more expensive. Uh, obviously, in our retail locations, you can't just raise a cup of coffee from $1.50 to $4 overnight. So we were essentially exposed um, and we were just buying coffee off the market. After that lesson, we went back and started working more closely with our importers, starting to get to know the farmers. Um, we weren't buying a lot of coffee back then, but we were introduced to a farm in Nicaragua. We would go down there and visit. It's called an origin trip. We'd meet with the farm, see who they employed, um, how they grew their coffee, sampled the coffee, and then really made a connection with the farmer. Um, so that became an important part of what we were going to do going forward. We had to know where our coffee was coming from because it was easier for us to tell the source of the coffee, how it's grown, which has become obviously much more important these days. Um, so I think that part of the business has grown now to where we're buying a lot more coffee. We have a lot more direct 
relationships. Um, and then on the financial side, we, we've been able to, I don't want to say hedge, but um, when we, since we're buying a lot more coffee, we're able to lock in prices for a longer period so that we're protected if there's a spike or there's cycles in the bean costs. Um, so from a financial point of view, uh, we understand that business a lot better. And we also uh, have close relationships with farmers, which some companies don't. Some, uh, it's become an important part of the business, but I think we've done a good job of forming relationships there. And then obviously COVID-19 has changed the way many businesses restructure uh, themselves. Um, how has this impacted Jittery Joe's and what precautions is, is your business doing to make sure that everyone's safe and healthy while still enjoying your coffee? So um, really overnight, our business changed. I, the structure I talked about earlier where half our business came from retail just almost went away. Um, I think the fact we had some drive-throughs helped sustain that business a little bit um, because people obviously are more comfortable and we could structure the interface with the customer do a drive-through. So that business still remained okay, but other than that, things just stopped on the retail side. On the wholesale side, um, most of our wholesale customers are restaurants or other cafes, so they shut down too, so that kind of went away. So just the initial reaction was one of, oh, how are we gonna keep this thing going? We were lucky, um, we were fortunate really, in that uh, before this, we had started to focus on our e-commerce business and invested um, some time and effort into growing that business. So when all of that, uh, the other business kind of stopped, the e-commerce business almost overnight took off um, and tripled uh, very quickly. So um, that um, has really, I don't want to say saved us, but has helped us create a buffer through this period. And, um, you know, hopefully as we come out of this, we'll retain a lot of that growth and come out better for it as some of the other business comes back. So that's just on just trying to keep the business alive side, keep things going. Then there's the, um, how do you open up in a safe way? You know, um, I think Athens has been ahead of the rest of Georgia and a lot of other places uh, in terms of keeping the city and the county locked down. Um, we were not gonna open or really do anything until, um, you know, we're following the lead of Kelly Gertz, Mayor Gertz, and uh, you know, I think there's been some strong leadership there trying to cut out a lot of the noise um, and not opening too early, but, uh, you know, we're trying to keep things clean. We've only just recently opened for uh, in, in cafe dining. We did some takeaway for a while, but always with um, conservative approach to keep things, uh, you know, in terms of protecting the, our employees and customers um, because nobody, ultimately nobody's going to want to come in and, uh, you know, buy coffee from you or sit in your cafe if they don't feel safe. And so we want to keep our employees safe. Uh, that's job number one. And of course, job 1A is uh, customers also. You alluded to this earlier that a lot of your clientele, especially in the Athens uh, cafes, are students. And um, while President Moorhead has indicated that um, he wants the full to be in person and the off chance that um, it becomes online that could obviously also affect you know who's going to your uh, coffee shops do you expect to see coming out of this um, in, in the years to come even a, a shift and a rise in e-commerce as you were alluding to and and less and less you know of this in-person um, cafe dining 
Um, I, well, I don't, I don't know what the future holds. I think um, we see these many trends now um, that could all just go away once the health issue is taken care of. So if there's a vaccine um, or the virus is diminished, there's no doubt, I think, and you're, I think you're seeing other cities, people want to go and sit in a cafe and have a coffee. So I think you may see some um, systemic changes in how the cafes are laid out. Um, I think future growth and investments in food and beverage may lean towards drive-through or um, some other things where there may be a certain portion of the um, population that's gotten comfortable with how they buy their food or buy their beverages. Um, but um, I, I don't know. I don't, uh, it's hard to say there's going to be, you know, two years from now, will we look back at this and say it was a blip or are these ultimately huge changes? I do think um, that the companies that develop policies that always take into account um, a health aspect that maybe hadn't been there before will be ahead and there'll be innovation around that. Um, and then e-commerce, yes. I think what we'll see for our business is you've seen this spike. I think it'll come down a little bit. Um, but then in the fall, in the fourth quarter, has always been a big e-commerce period. It's the biggest e-commerce period, obviously. Um, I think you'll see more people uh, you know, spending their dollars there. I think that'll also come down a little bit as people get out. So I think you may see some settling in the middle of what you outlined. Um, because I think human behavior and consume, you know, consuming uh, part of consumption is the atmosphere, the enjoyment of that. Um, I think it's really hard to change that when people don't perceive there's a risk to their health. And obviously COVID-19 has hit a lot of businesses hard, especially local and smaller businesses. What can, our, what can the people of Athens do or worldwide or nationwide? What can we do to support Jittery Joe's to make sure it, uh, it flourishes in the years to come? Well, uh, so um, first of all, people have been great. Uh, they've been terrific. But so that's important to us. But also what's important to me and Bob is that um, all of these restaurants have employees that haven't been able to work. Um, so they're people without jobs or income. And once we come out of this period where you know, some of the government assistance goes away, unemployment benefits. Um, so I, I think supporting any local business as much as you feel comfortable is important. Um, Jittery Joe's, it's buying coffee. If you don't feel comfortable coming in, buy coffee online. Um, you know, everything we, we ship now is free shipping, right? We're competing with Amazon now. <laughs> so um, I think that's important because it's not just Jittery Joe's, because Jittery Joe's in and of itself succeeding doesn't, help anybody else. We need to see, uh, and this community has been great about that. So that's my biggest concern. All of these folks who are employed by all these companies that may not come back, a lot of these restaurants, um, how are we going to create career pathways for them? Because that ultimately helps the city. It helps the economy. Um, you know, you guys are coming out when you're graduate, you're coming into an economy where there's other opportunities. So um, I think anybody who can support local, uh, any local business, um, and you're seeing, uh, I think, some uh, movement away. I think people, as they come back out and go to chains or go out to eat or, you know, try to frequent places, you're seeing, I think, gravitation toward more national chains. It would be great to see it come back to some local places. 
that have been in business for a long time and are really hurting. Um, I, you know, the other thing I always kind of lean on is when I was in Singapore, um, actually my daughter Natalie was born during SARS. So um, I remember that time and she was born in a hospital and it was, we were the only people there. You can have visitors. So I just remember going through SARS and being terrified, uh, but also knowing that it passed, right? Uh, eventually, humans are very adaptable um, and things got better and it took a period of time. And when you're in that period, when it's happening, you're like, this is never going to end. Things are never going to go back to some semblance of normal, but they do. Um, so how do we bridge when that happens to making sure everybody can have uh, earn a living? How can people continue to live in this uh, state before things get semi-normal? So it's a roundabout way of saying support local businesses as much as possible um, because we want them to stay around. Because when, when this ends, um, you don't, I don't want to see Athens with all national chains uh, in the city and lose a lot of its character of some of the things that made Athens great. Before we go, um, can you sort of attest, uh, you've got a unique perspective with Jittery Joes. If you could provide one piece of advice to the people listening, uh, it doesn't even have to be about you know local businesses, but just one piece of advice to the people listening, what would it be? Well, so um, what I've told my daughters and we tell our team is um, let's just always retain some empathy and think about what every, you know, how other people are feeling, right? Um, so that's if you're going to the grocery or if you have a customer coming in, um, let's just try to all work together and, you know, make, you know, try to progress and get back to some semblance of normalcy while remaining healthy as possible and taking precautions. Um, because I think every day, every week we take these precautions will mean we can get back to some semblance of normal. And I think right now people are kind of uncertain. How do we test? Do we go out? Are things normal? You walk down Millage, things may seem kind of normal right now, but they're not. So, um, you know, it's just kind of one day at a time. And uh, empathy has always been kind of a big core belief for our company and our family. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Finch Podcast. If you're interested in being an underwriter, email us at thefinchpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And if you like our work, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at The Finch Podcast. This Friday on The Finch, we speak with Hugh Atchison. He's a three-season judge on Top Chef, a published author, and an owner of many restaurants, including the Five and Ten in Athens. Stay tuned.